0: Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
1: You know, some people read it because it is fun and unbelievable, but so is science fiction.
0: <laughs> hey readers, I'm Anne Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, Episode 203. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show, What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, I'd like to think we've all done it. Dismissed a book out of hand because we didn't like the title or the cover or we didn't think we were that kind of reader. But have you ever written off an entire genre? In today's episode, I talk with Emily Carter, A Florida reader who thought she was too smart to be reading certain kinds of books. And as you'll hear, my own experience here was quite similar. But then Emily entered a season when she was busy and stressed, and she discovered that the genre she'd once categorically dismissed was, much to her surprise, full of books that were exactly what her lackluster reading life needed. As a fellow repentant book snob, I loved our conversation about what we miss out on as readers when we seal ourselves off from whole sections of the bookstore how our misperceptions can be corrected by our fellow readers, and how we can take smart chances on books outside our readerly comfort zones. Let's get to it. Emily, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Anne. I'm really excited to talk to you this morning.
0: We were all at What Should I Read Next headquarters very excited to get your submission from our guest submission form because you brought up a topic that you mentioned you hadn't heard about on the show yet.
1: Yeah, so I um, have been listening for a while and I had never had really heard you talk too much other than maybe some people will bring up an individual book about romance novels. I haven't been reading romance for a long time. Like I think a lot of people who really love the genre sort of grew up with it. I had a stereotype in my head. I think like a lot of people did about who reads romance novels and what they are. And then when I found them, it's just been a genre that has helped me get back into loving reading also was the right kind of book I needed at the right time in my life. So I'm excited to talk about that and talk about the books I liked.
0: Okay. First of all, I have to say that when it comes to romance and some other genres as well, but when it comes to romance, I am a repentant book snob. Just in the past few years, I have a lot of friends who've gotten into romance. And when they did, at first I like kind of raised my eyebrows and went, Really? Mm -hmm. And then they lovingly but firmly pointed out to me that you can't just write off a whole genre. And there are very talented authors writing all different kinds of books. And to like dismiss a whole genre as not being serious literature was really snobby and also really sexist. And I think I thought, well, it's a woman. I wouldn't be discounting women just because they're writing what they are. But yeah, I totally was. So I'm glad you're here today. We can all make amends.
1: Yes. I like how you put that as sort of a repentant book snob, because I think I just thought... I'm better than that novel. And I had an idea about sort of the housewife who sits and reads romance novels because she's missing something in her life a little bit. And the covers probably didn't help until now I've kind of learned to love that. Most people who read romance and the community of women who love romance novels kind of cherish those covers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So now you're leaning in instead of like running away or apologizing. Exactly,
1: exactly. I think like every genre of book, you get all kinds and you get more serious novels. And you know, some people read it because it is fun and unbelievable, but so is science fiction. A lot of different genre fiction and fantasy that people read. For me, what got me started reading romance novels was because I heard one of my other favorite podcasts, Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Yeah, A couple of summers ago, they did a whole romance novel episode. I got great recommendations and four women talking about why they love these books and how much fun they are. And I kind of went, NPR is promoting romance novels. Like, maybe this, there's some fun things I should check out. So then I followed a couple of blogs and kind of was surprised at not just the women who read romance, but the female authors who write romance come from all kinds of literary and other professional backgrounds. I mean, I know one of the authors I love is Courtney Milan and she was a lawyer. I think she was a property lawyer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, my background's in property law. I've never read Courtney Milan though, at least not yet.
1: Eloisa <laughs> James is another name who comes up. She's a Shakespeare professor. All kinds of women really support the genre and love what it says about writing to women and writing for women. So I love that.
0: So Emily, you heard that NPR piece. And then what happened next?
1: The guest on there was Sarah Wendell, who runs a book blog about romance novels. So I kind of followed up with the recommendations that they kind of had. And at the time in my life when I listened to it, I was working at a really stressful job, 10, 11-hour days. I have four kids they were all very young at the time. It was just very stressful. I wanted an escape and I wanted something that I don't want to say totally turned my brain off because I also don't like that people are like, oh, I just read a romance novel because it's so light and easy that I don't have to think about it because I found that that wasn't always true. But what I did find that I loved was that you know that there's going to be a happy ending. And at that time and since then, with so many other things going on in our world and in our country and all of that... Knowing that you're gonna see a female character go through trials, learn about herself, often kind of overcome adversity to have a happy ending was just so important. I really embraced that part of it, along with the fact that then kind of following some different blogs Goodreads authors and things like that, that the women who write and read romance really support each other. Like it's always seems to be a really safe place to talk about lots of different things and what women are going through and how we feel about things going on in the world right now. That community around it was so important to me then. And that's kind of what kept me reading romance for the last couple of years since then and getting more involved in it as a genre.
0: Yes. And I just want to underline a couple of things you said, which is, Romance novels, by definition, they end with a happy ever after or happy for now. Like sometimes people will call, like, Nicholas Sparks or Me Before You romance novels. Those are not romance novels.
1: Right. Like I've never read a Nicholas Spark novel because if I want to cry in a book, I want a happy cry in a book. I want to know that that happy ending is coming. And that's kind of the main thing with a romance novel is that the love story is the central plot. There's usually a lot of adversity that the heroine has to overcome to get there, but that is the overarching story. And then at the end, you know, it's optimistic and feels satisfying for your heroine there may be other unresolved issues in the background especially because a lot of romance novels are series you know, something may have been unresolved with a side character, you know, and you can often tell like who they're maybe setting up the next book to be about because, (laughs) (laughs) you know, she had a little side story for a couple of chapters and you're like, you know, what happened to her younger sister? But for your main heroine and your hero, you know, you're going to have a happy ending. And I love that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that is where the stigma came in. It's like, well, there's no drama there. You know what's going to happen. I think that's true in a lot of genre fiction. I mean, there, you hit certain plot beats because that is why you're reading it, whether it's fantasy or science fiction or whatever. That is what makes it comforting. That doesn't take it away from being good literature either, being a good book.
0: Right, and some of my very favorite literary novels begin with the end. I mean, you find out on page one that something has ended in disaster, whether that's for a culture or a life. And then you read to find out why and how. right. I also really related to something you said about how it wasn't until you heard romance novels being discussed on NPR that you thought, oh, those books could be for me. And it's not that there's anything magic about NPR and the situation. But what is magic, and on the other hand, what I think can be so detrimental to readers, is to seal ourselves off from a whole category of books and reading in this case. But we do it in other areas of our lives. We just assume, oh, that's not for me. Those people are like this. I am like That and we miss out on something really good. I was having a conversation, I think, actually, with my husband Will. I think I was showing him another like link I'd found on the internet about what's so great about romance novels or why the stereotypes about the genre hurt women so much. And he's like, "You're like soapboxing about this. Like, what's the deal here?" And I was like, "It's not just I feel so strongly about romance, but like this is my area of." repentance, where I have seen how I was, like I said before, I was a total snob. I just categorically assumed this is not for me and just didn't even investigate it. And I feel like when we do that in any area of our lives, we know just enough to be inoculated
1: hearing myself say it back, I'm like, oh yeah, that makes me sound like kind of a snob that I'm like, oh yeah, it was
0: NPR of all like things. (laughs) (laughs) It could have been anything, but it could have caused you to take a second look and reevaluate your own attitude. Right.
1: Absolutely. And one of the things I've thought about in leading up to this conversation with you and thinking about like, I've seen romance come out and be discussed more often in the last year, maybe partly because yes, once you open yourself up to that, then you see it everywhere. It's like suddenly when you learn something new, you're like, how did I... I never know this because it comes up in my life all over the place. So Mm -hmm. I've noticed that now that I see it. Romance, every time I see a piece about it somewhere, they talk about how this is a billion-dollar book industry. I mean, it's always been one of the most successful genres. And one of the things that I think closed people off to it was, we talked about like the covers. I mean, there is a thing about judging the bodice ripper. I mean, that's where they get that term (laughs) from back in the day. And I've noticed a lot of especially contemporary romance novels that are getting published publish are going with the more hand drawn covers like I just read Evie Drake Starts Over by Linda Holmes who does the mm-hmm. NPR Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast it's really I mean it's a contemporary romance it's a small town romance it was great about starting over after her husband has passed away and falling in love with a big city baseball player i mean it's very similar to what's been done in sort of those kind of romances before it looks like what i think of a lot of the YA covers are looking like now which i love where uh-huh. it's much more stylized, I guess. And I think that's getting people to pick up the books because I keep seeing things like The Kiss Quotient and The Bride Test by Helen Hong, both of which I read Mm -hmm. and loved, have seen on a lot of lists of people who said, I didn't think I'd like romance novels. And then I picked this up because no one's looking at you with a side eye if you buy it at the the bookstore and stuff, which is unfortunate that that ever happens at all. But it does. I like that they're kind of finding a way to get more people to read the genre, even if it is, you know, just that little bit of cover change and
0: And something I found is that readers love discovering a book that they never would have thought was for them. You know, something that really takes them by surprise and something that they never would have picked up on their own, but a trusted source recommended it and overcame the, are you serious for me objection? And then they ended up loving it. And I feel like so many people, they could feel that way about romance novels or maybe maybe you're listening and you're a romance fan, but you know, like you would never touch science fiction or literary fiction or anything written for, you know, teens or middle graders or, right. you know, like you just categorize categorically think, that's not for me. But maybe if you gave it a try, you'd be, you know, like clutching that book to your heart and thinking, oh my gosh, I can't believe I almost missed this.
1: For me, romance novels, yes, the main plot of a romance, the love story is the thing, but it's not about this heroine needs a man or a woman, because I really like the fact, too, that a lot of romance novels, a lot of the ones that have been more talked about are becoming a lot more diverse, too. You know, I read some good, like, male-male romance novels, and the main point of the story is the love story, but it's not that, oh, she needs a man to complete her life. Usually, to me, what I find so fulfilling is that the heroine Finds the love story in sometimes even in spite of herself because she's coming to love herself more. I mean, I think that's, you know, talk about the feminist aspect of it, the romance comes to her because she's opening herself up to it because she's overcoming something else that's blocked her.
0: Right, right, right. You can't have that external change in the relationships before you have the internal change in the character.
1: Right. And that's what I found so satisfying was the growth that the characters went through for themselves, not to become somebody else for this guy, but for themselves to become who they knew they needed to be. Usually the best ones, the hero is there because he's the one who supported her the most. You know, he's the one that she finds was still there in the end. And that's incredibly satisfying.
0: Okay, I have a recommendation for you and I can't wait to talk about it, but we will get there. But also, Emily, this isn't the only thing you read, as you said, you have said that as a reader, you're up for trying just about anything, or at least now you're up for anything.
1: Reading romance really brought me back to remembering how much I always loved to read. Like I know I've heard other guests of yours say, you get into being married and you have kids and you have a job and it's just, you know, you just don't pick up a book as often as you used to. Romance, because they were books that were fulfilling what I needed at the time, brought me back to how much I just plain love to read and how much I love having Mm -hmm. a real book in my hands. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I also read literary fiction. I've been trying to be open to more like science fiction and fantasy. Historical fiction is still kind of my go-to that I find myself drawn to, but I would like to read more like historical biography. I find that I'm always really fascinated by stories about real people, but I gravitate to autobiography more like on
0: audiobook and things like
1: that. I want to read more historical biography because I read biographical
0: fiction. So Ron Chernow, not Lynn manuel Miranda.
1: Yeah. Something that's a, a better real historical account that I know is going to be compelling.
0: Gotcha. You're looking for a writer who can make history leap off the page in the same way that the novels you enjoy do. That's exactly it. Yeah. So Emily, knowing that you have broad reading taste, how did you choose three books you love today?
1: One of my just all-time favorites. One book that I, when I really stop to think about it, it's like my comfort read that I'll even just go back to passages because it makes me feel good, and that I realized was something that I, where I realized I was reading romance before I knew I was a romance reader. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last is kind of a cheat when she'll go over because it's really a series, but I think that's fair when it comes to romance novels because that's really common. You know, you, you'll read, they'll publish three or four or four or five books that all connect with interconnectedly with the characters. So to me, it's taken And as you a whole, fall in love with the characters
0: and not just the right, one Right,
1: exactly. And you're compelled, you know, if something's left hanging, it's because you're compelled to kind of want to know what's going on in that world. Like I said, with a sister or with the best friend.
0: You know how this works. You get to tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you've been reading lately. And we will talk about what you should read next. Which was which? Decode what you just said. What did you choose for your first favorite? So my first favorite is The Bean Trees by Barbara
1: Kingsolver, which is Mm -hmm. just one of my all-time favorites. I first read it probably not long after it was published. So maybe it was in my early 20s. I love Kingsolver's writing because it's lyrical, but it's not deep, heavy writing. She just tells a really good story with really compelling characters, but there is a deeper message once you really pay attention to the book. The Bean Trees is a story of Taylor Greer. When she's a teenager, she decides she wants more for her life than she's going to get in her tall town, and I think it's Kentucky and she saves money, buys herself, I think it's a Volkswagen bug, and heads west till she gets to Arizona, just trying to find more for her life. So kind of typical, now I'm realizing it, of sort of the the heroines that I do enjoy in my novel, in my reading. And along the way, she stops at a small cafe, and someone kind of just drops a baby in her lap. She finds out later it's like almost a two-year-old, like a toddler wrapped in a towel, and says this baby needs to be taken care of. And The rest of the book is really a story about motherhood. I love the way she puts together a story and I return to those characters when I just need a comfort read. Barbara Kingsolver is one of my favorite authors that I go back to because of that book. And then the second is The Rose Garden by Susanna Kearsley. Another one of my favorite authors who's probably one of the few authors I've read almost everything she's written, everything new since this came out. I think I've read four or five of her books. And I read The Winter Sea, which is, I think is the one that more people might know. But then The Rose Garden, again, is just sort of my comfort read In terms of, I go back to just certain scenes because it's just so evocative of the place. And I love the love story in it. It's kind of borderline romance and women's fiction maybe, but it also has, I like the magical realism element. There's a time travel element to it. The main heroine, she goes back to a small town, particularly a small estate, I guess it is, in Cornwall. Because her sisters passed away and this was where they used to spend the summers when they were young. Her sisters passed away. And so she's taking her sister's ashes to leave them in this estate. And while she's there, she's also just a little bit lost because without her sister, she's not really sure what her place is. Because I think she was her assistant and her sister was a is a um was a famous actress and she did PR and she just feels a little bit lost without her there. So while she is Back visiting this estate, she finds that she kind of slips through time without warning, kind of an outlander thing, I guess. But she has no warning. It's just not how she goes back there and she slips back and forth. Learning about these dual time periods and living through both of them, she falls in love with the man who is living on the same estate but in the past. And it's just a novel of her again, trying to find her sense of belonging and where she belongs and whether it's in this time or the past. And it's got a great twist in the end that really made me gasp and tear up. And one of the reasons I like Susanna Kearsley is I do like the kind of magical realism element that she brings to her stories, the little bit of time travel and the sense of history as well. So
0: that's my second pick. And what did you choose for your final favorite? My final
1: is The Worth Saga. So this is the one that's kind of a cheat because it is a series by Courtney Milan. She also wrote a series called The Brothers Sinister, which is maybe more well-known that I think more people think is her best series. But I really love The Worth Saga. There are two full-length novels right now, and I think three novellas that are part of it. For me, it's kind of an example of how romance is elevated above just the love stories in each story. So for each one of the full-length novels has been about two different sisters. It's really as much about family and finding kind of how family ties stretch and change But ultimately, both of the sisters sort of find love in spite of themselves. What they're really looking for is the family bond and the family love. The hero in each story is there to give them a fuller sense of themselves. But it's really the the love for family that brings them back. And Courtney Milan also just writes wonderful, witty banter. And I would say that hers are not historical romances that you want to go for if you want... Jane Austen-like realism, (laughs) you know? (laughs) I mean, I like that in my romance novel. I'm okay if the way they talk and the things that happen are not going to be period specific because women were not always treated very well in the Regency period. Uh, Yeah, Courtney Milan is really one of my absolute favorite romance
0: authors. Emily, tell me about a book that was not for you. So this
1: one was a lot of people's favorite books of I think maybe two years ago. And really I read it all the way through and it just did not sit well with me. And that is Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine by I think it's Gail Honeyman. And it's funny because I've seen this book on lists as it's funny, it's humorous, it's a romance, it's uplifting. And I did not have that feeling at all When I was reading the book, have you read Eleanor Oliphant? I have. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when I was reading it, I got the sense that she, well, because of her, um, because she's not comfortable on other people, what the author was trying to come across with is her loneliness. Read to me is sort of on the autism spectrum. And I sort of thought that was where she was going. Come to find out, I've read interviews with her since. And she said that wasn't what she was intending to speak to. When you finish the novel with the twist in the end and you find out that it was sort of a self-imposed self-preservation. And I just felt that she had a lot of deeper issues going on that the end just wrapped up in too quick and nice and neat of a bow. And that just didn't sit well with me. Like I really felt it sort of didn't give enough gravitas to what she was really going through there was more story there for her growth in the end that we just didn't get. And I had just before that read The Kiss Quotient by Helen Hong. It does feature a heroine who's on the autism spectrum, and it was done with such consideration and was such a lovely story that I just didn't see in Eleanor Oliphant. It just wrapped up too neatly and didn't feel like a happy ending to me.
0: So you feel like... Ending on an up note does not make it an uplifting book because there's, I mean, there's a lot of sorrow and trauma in that book. That's exactly it. Yeah. And it also sounds like a serious case of expectations not aligning with your reading experience.
1: I think if I had expected for there to be more trauma, then I would have approached it differently and maybe even read the ending differently. But I felt like there was maybe like a whole another third of a book that needed more, you know, needed to see her learn and mm-hmm. grow more because it was a very little mm-hmm. bit of an uplift after a pretty dark twist. I don't want to give it away for somebody who hasn't read it, but to me, it was a pretty dark twist at the end that really needed more time and consideration before the end of the book.
0: It sounds like you felt like the author gave Eleanor her happy ending and just kind of erased all the sad stuff she's been to, instead of like truly showing her working through it and having that inner change that we talked about. Yes,
1: that's exactly it, And Because when you said that, well, I thought of something that I often see in people, in criticisms of lots of books that I've read, but even, mm-hmm. even especially in a romance, I don't feel like she earned it. After going through that trauma, I don't feel like it ended in a way that showed that she earned her happy ending. For Eleanor.
0: I mean, I enjoyed that book. I expected something harsh. I think I read it before it started being featured in all these articles about how, like, people want uplifting books these days, so they're reading Gail Honeyman. What you're saying, Emily, has me like thinking back through my own reading experience, because I know I said this before the moment in time when publishers started talking about how readers are really snatching up uplifting literature. Right. And this book was frequently featured as one of those heartwarming, happy books. I think it's a sad book that ends on a strong note of hope. Yeah. But, but that's different than, than uplifting. uplifting.
1: Right. And again, to kind of to get back to like a romance novel, which I saw this on a couple lists of like romance novels or in that section of a bookstore.
0: Oh, that really surprises me me.
1: It has an uplift. It has a note of hope, but I don't feel like it's really earned its happy ending.
0: What are you reading now, Emily?
1: I just finished last night, The Van Apfel Girls Are Gone by, I don't remember the author's name.
0: Felicity McLean. I'm looking at it. That
1: was really fun. She's an Australian author, which I found out after I'd picked it up. I read a review of it that compared it to a cross between The Virgin Suicides meets Picnic at Hanging Rock, I haven't read The Virgin Suicides, but I kind of have an idea of what that was about. And it's definitely a coming-of-age story. The story is told by a woman who, when she was 11 years old in the early 90s, so it was very evocative of a certain time and place for me and my age at that time. The three sisters who lived across the street from her disappeared one night. And so it's going back and forth between how she remembers it as a child and then it flips to her in the present day going back to visit her sister and seeing what her sister remembers. It's a little bit mysterious like Picnic at Hanging Rock in terms of you're not sure exactly whatever happened. You're not even sure what's going on in the background that because you have an 11-year-old unreliable narrator there's things you're seeing from a child's eyes that as an adult might be more disturbing. That was a really interesting read, and I'm still kind of poring over that a little bit.
0: Okay. That had been on my radar before it came out, and I haven't talked to anyone who's actually read it.
1: Yeah, and I read Picnic at Hanging Rock a couple months ago after hearing it on your show, and I loved that. Well, I read it after hearing about it on my show, too. Okay.
0: <laughs> Readers recommended it and said I needed to read it, and I listen.
1: Yeah, it was just the right kind of little bit eerie, a little bit off, you're not really sure what's going on to just the degree that I like.
0: Okay. What are you looking for more of in your reading life? I would like to read more short stories.
1: I know I've heard you've talked to people more recently about poetry and so I've been picking up different things, but I'd like to read more short stories. Um I've never been good about kind of knowing where to go and what to pick up there, but I'd love a good short story collection and as we talked about I think a little bit earlier, biographies, historical biographies, but with a feminist slant a little bit.
0: Well, that sounds good. That sounds really exciting. Let's take a look. You have loves, not all over the place by any means, but then again, we only gave you three. So they are (laughs) The Bean Trees by Barbara Kingsolver, The Rose Garden by Susanna Kearsley, and The Worth Saga by Courtney Milan. Yes. Not For You Was Eleanor Oliphant Is Completely Fine by Gail Honeyman. You just finished. The Van Atville Girls Are Gone by Felicity McLean. You're looking for a biography of a historical character, short stories, and can I just say good books?
1: Good books, yeah.
0: It looks like you enjoy stories of people finding their way, of making authentic positive growth and change internally and if it's also expressed externally so that you have a novel that portrays what's happening in the characters hearts and minds but also where you see them live that out in action it also gives you a little more plot
1: yes definitely
0: that works for you and you've said that you enjoy seeing people find their sense of belonging and find a family if they don't have one and find strong relationships or adding strong relationships in their lives and so we are going to look for books that show these things But we're not going to look for very long because I really need you to read a book that's coming out on November 5th. It's a romance. You can talk about it with me and all your romance-loving buddies. It is called The Bromance Book Club. It is by Lissa K. Adams. Do you know it?
1: I do not. This sounds cool.
0: Well, you did say that you enjoyed Evie Drake Starts Over, which features a Major League Baseball player who is suffering for who knows what, I forget what they call it in the book. What's he suffering from? Oh,
1: I'm not going to remember either. He's got like the shakes
0: or something. He can't can't pitch. pitch.
1: And he can't, right. He can pitch great in the backyard in the middle of the night when nobody's watching is what I remember from the book. But as soon as he's under pressure...
0: Which was a fine detail. Yeah, they're not sure if it's in his head or in his arm, but it's not happening. Okay, well, this book does not feature anyone having the shakes or whatever Linda Holmes called it, but it does feature a baseball player. So in this book... The Bromance Book Club. The cover is hand-drawn. It is super adorable. Please look it up and take a look at it. Oh. It begins with a Nashville Legends Major League second baseman whose marriage is going down the toilet. I mean, he loves his wife desperately, but he's kind of been a jerk. He doesn't know he's been a jerk. That is unfolds slowly over the course of the story, but you can guess. he's He's mm-hmm. been a jerk. He... <laughs> Oh, I can't resist like borrowing the publisher's words. His marriage is in major league trouble. So his friends find him living in squalor, in a hotel, not because he can't afford better, but because he feels like he deserves just something horrible. And he is unwell and unslept and it's been drinking too much and eating too little. And his friends pull him out of the toilet, like almost literally, and are like, dude, you gotta get it together. Come over to our buddy's house. We're meeting in the basement tomorrow night. He shows up and the first thing they do is hand him one of these Regency romance novels <laughs> with a woman in a sweeping dress on the cover, you know, standing against a field of barley mm-hmm. or something. It's called something stereotypically Regency romancy, like courting the countess. Mm. And he's like, I can't believe you're punking me when I am at this horrible place in my life. You all look the worst and I'm leaving. And they're like, sit down, this is book club. <laughs> and the first rule about book club is what happens in book club stays in book club. And what he finds out is that all these guys in the basement, all his good friends have gone through horrible times in their relationships, but he didn't know it. And book club saved their marriages. Gavin is like, she's so disappointed in me. I have no idea where to start. And his book club buddy is like, oh, we did. (laughs) And then- all the guys are like, backstory. And he's like, what? And his friends are like, backstory is everything. And they start explaining his marriage through the lens of a good novel. It's so much fun for readers. But what's extra fun, and the reason I really want you to read this book is because it goes like very meta about romance novels. Like he goes to book club and he's handing this Regency romance and he's like, what is a Regency? His book. Buddy tells him that means it's set in 18th or early 19th century England. And he's like, oh, great. That sounds relevant. So his friend says it is actually. Modern romance novelists use the patriarchal society of old British aristocracy to explore the gender-based limitations placed on women today in both the professional and personal (laughs) spheres. And then he says, well, there's lots of profanity, but he says that it is really freaking feminist. (laughs) So it's so great. Because they're dudes reading romance novels. Adams really plays with that and it really works. Like she has these little scenes, like the server at the diner where they're having their book club this one day sees a cover of what they're reading and she's like, Oh my gosh, I love that author. And they just don't want to talk about it. And one of them says, like, my wife does not read those novels. And the other guy is like, what do you think is on that Kindle, bro? And they say things like, "Um, don't be ashamed for liking them. That's stupid. Like, the backlash against the pumpkin spice latte is a perfect example of how toxic masculinity permeates even the most mundane things in life. Because if masses of women like something, our society automatically begins to mock them just like romance novels. Yes.
1: Yes. I love this. So
0: (laughs) So I think you're really going to enjoy that. Okay. I have to say, I love this book. I thought it was adorable, but I know readers want to know that there is a whole lot of profanity here. It's a little open door. It's not super open door, but there is a lot of profanity.
1: I know that's one thing we didn't talk about before that I know always comes up with romance novels discussions is how open door, closed door. And for me, I'm, I'm, I'm just all about a good story and all about a good arc for my character. But, um, so that doesn't bother me at all, but I know it seems like a lot of the historicals I read are a lot more open door than uh, some people are comfortable with. so interesting. Yet, which is interesting. It's something about taking off the, the bodice and the corset and the whole thing, I guess. So. <laughs> but for me, like doesn't turn me off at all. So,
0: so it's a fun story in its own right, but the way she plays with what is a romance novel, why does it work? Why are they popular? Who's reading them? What does it tell yeah. us? You're going to find that really fun.
1: Oh, I'm, I'm very excited for that. Cause that's like, they, she put it better than I could in terms of why a historical romance novel works for me and what it says about, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome.
0: It's so fun. November 5th, the bromance book club. Alyssa K. Adams.
1: Got it on my Goodreads.
0: (laughs) That's the easy one. What are we going to do next? Okay, obviously, to a reader of your taste, from the Bromance Book Club, there's no other way to go than, um, like, straight to John Adams. How does that sound? Okay, yeah. So, you were talking about biographies of historic Mm -hmm. characters, I think because of conversations I've been having in my life recently about Hamilton and truth and the way we understand history, how it changes, I went straight to David McCullough and his biography of John Adams called... John Adams that came out in 2001 this biography changed the public's perception of how effective Adams was in his presidency it raised it significantly and something I thought that was really interesting is McCullough initially set out to write a joint biography of John Adams and Thomas Jefferson but as he dove more and more into the material he thought oh like Jefferson has been on this pedestal for several hundred years but I don't know that he can actually hold his own next to president number two and once he started like getting deeper and deeper into the Research, his scope shifted and he began wondering, oh, I was worried that Adams couldn't hold his own with Jefferson, but I think it might actually be the other way around. So that's interesting. John Adams, David McCullough, huge book. It's fascinating, but we're going to focus on the women. John Adams' wife, Abigail, speaking Mm -hmm. of holding your own, totally can in the company of these men. So she appears in McCullough's biography of. Adams, but also Woody Holton gave her a book of her own about 10 years ago, and it is called Abigail Adams. Now, people who don't always read biographies because they feel like I'm out of school. I don't need to do that anymore if they don't want to. Sometimes they call this interesting but dry, but I think you're going to find this really fascinating because Abigail Adams as a character was herself. It's been some time since I read this, but I remember thinking, I didn't know a woman could be like this in Abigail Adams' time she had a lot of power and independence in her society but also in her marriage not just because she had it legally but because she took it now this could be my own fault but she really defied my expectations for what a woman could do in her time and I just really admired her Also, just reading about the time itself was fascinating. There's an extended interlude about her and her husband's debate over whether he should be vaccinated for smallpox. Reading about details like that or about childbirth. And I think something that a lot of people don't know about her, because she does get appended to her more famous husband, is that she had her own family issues both those she took on with marriage and those she came from. I just think there's a lot here that you could really enjoy diving into. It's not as long as the McKellet. This is just under 500 pages, but it's meaty and well-researched, and there's a lot there to dig into. How does that sound?
1: Yeah, that sounds kind of right up my alley.
0: I hope you enjoy it. There are a few really interesting short story collections this spring to mind. Two are newer, is in they're coming out mm-hmm. this fall, So one is the Zadie Smith collection. It's called Grand Union. These stories are all very different in tone. There's one that is wild about Michael Jackson driving Liz Taylor and Richard Burton out from ground zero when the towers fall. Oh, wow. (laughs) They're not all that out there. That collection is not for everyone, but there is something in this collection for almost every reader. And then Edwidge Danticat, the Haitian author who wrote Claire of the Sea Light that I really enjoyed, she has a new collection just out in October 2019. Something that's interesting about this collection is all the stories seem to focus on characters' decisions, ones they did make, ones they didn't, and how that kind of hinged mm-hmm. their lives. So that collection is called Everything Inside. It's new. It's by Edwidge Danticat. Given what you like for short stories, I just would really like to recommend a favorite of mine, and that is Interpreter of Maladies by Jumpa Lahiri.
1: Oh, I've never read that, but I know the name so well.
0: These are also unconnected short stories. I'm just thinking specifically of King solver and the way she paints a picture and goes straight to uh, what characters are feeling. What Lahiri can do in these short little vignettes is, I think, something that you will find really appealing as a reader. However, sometimes what she's portraying is the way people and relationships just fall apart. This is not the one you go into excited for your happy ending. But the way she nails the way we are as people and like shows it to you at a little bit of a remove is just really, really fascinating and such good reading.
1: That sounds great. I like the connection to Barbara Kingsolver because I just like the way she tells a story and you just are there with the characters, even in a story that doesn't seem deep, doesn't on the surface seem like there's big themes going on, but you really feel like you're, you're there with them. And it kind of sounds like this is similar.
0: Yes. And her writing seems simple on the surface and yet it has so much depth and nuance because that is her skill. Okay. So the books we talked about were The Bromance Book Club by Lissa K. Adams, out November 5th, not too far away, Abigail Adams by Woody Holton, and Interpreter of Maladies by Jhumpa Lahiri. Now of those three books, what do you want to read next?
1: I am going to pick up Interpreter of Maladies by Jhumpa Lahiri because it is an author that's kind of been on my radar. That just sounds so compelling. And I like the idea of Starting with one short story, and then maybe also if I'm making a trip to the bookstore, getting the Abigail Adams book.
0: Well, I hope you enjoy it, and I definitely want to hear your thoughts on Lizzie K. Adams's like meta romance take after you read the Romance Book Club.
1: Yes, I'm really excited for that. So that's going to get pre ordered, I think. So <laughs>
0: definitely, <laughs> <laughs> Emily, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for talking books with me today.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. I was so excited to talk about this, Anne, and, and do this with you. So thank you so much.
0: Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Emily today and I'd love to hear what you think she should read next. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 203 and it's where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Subscribe now so you don't miss next week's episode in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. We will see you next week. If you are on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Vogel. That is Anne with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Vogel and at What Should I Read Next. Our newsletter subscribers are the first to know all the What Should I Read Next news and happenings. If you are not on the list, you can fix that now by visiting whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter to sign up for our free weekly delivery. If you enjoy this podcast and want more What Should I Read Next in your life, you can go back through the archives and listen in any order. Some readers like to start from the beginning, but recently our producer Brenna recommended that you work backwards week by week. Either way, these episodes are evergreen and ever fresh. You can listen at any time, and there's so much good stuff we would not want you to miss. When you've listened to the first 200, we have a 200 Club badge on Instagram that you can repost to show off your What Should I Read Next bona fides. And for even more Book Talk, we recently interviewed previous guests for our 200th episode. You heard clips from those episodes in episode 200, but you can hear the full interviews on Patreon. Patreon supporters get access to a private podcast feed with bonus audio, including these interviews where we caught back up with past guests. Get your private podcast feed or learn more at patreon.com slash whatshouldireadnext. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash whatshouldireadnext. Thanks to the people who make this show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. a sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis meditation and stories so if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight search for calm cove on apple podcasts or spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night